All right, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18, we'll do this whole chapter. It's only 30 verses, and so um, technically we are still studying the life of Saul. Now David's in the mix now, so we're definitely seeing him, which makes it for a really, really easy contrast, because Saul just gets worse and worse, and David seems to be really, really great right now, so uh, we get to see this contrast really clearly. Um, but as we have studied the life of Saul, I think it's probably easy to say that there have been times that we would have been able to identify with Saul. You know, he meets Samuel, and Samuel says, you're going to be the first king of Israel, and, and Saul was hesitant. Who wouldn't be hesitant if you were told that you were going to be the first king of anything, really? So he hides in the baggage, we see that. We see another time where, where Saul is impatient. Uh, he doesn't want to wait for God's timing, and, you know, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I feel like we probably have all been at a point in our lives where we thought, come on, God. I kind of know what you're going to do, but I need you to go ahead and do it. And so we realize that sometimes some of the things that Saul was doing was not unlike some of the things that we're tempted to, to, to do ourselves. But then we see that Saul continues to make these choices that get worse and worse and worse to the point that he actually loses God's favor. He loses God's favor essentially over a mission that God had sent him on. God had said, you're going to avenge my people against these other people, but it's a holy war, you're going to have to wipe them all out. And when God sends Saul to do that, Saul reserves some animals, he reserves the king, um, he saves some things, and, and God was done with him at that point because he had used him as his own justice. Saul was acting as God's justice, and Saul was not faithful to do what God had commanded him to do. So the Lord leaves Saul at that point, and you can see right away, we, we looked at a chapter where it says that a troubling spirit came from the Lord, so Saul was miserable all the time after this point. You can see the ramifications of this. Um, and this chapter that we're going to study today is even more of that. So as we continue to study Saul's life, uh, which now includes David, we see him continue to lose everything important to him after he lost God's favor. And so I titled this The Biggest Loser, um, not because he loses weight, but because as we look at this, he continues to lose more and more things um, that should matter to anybody, and Saul is definitely um, losing some things that matter. So the sermon in a sentence is this. Followers of God have no business being jealous or deceptive. Those are the ways of the world. And so we will look at this passage like we're looking at Saul, but we're also going to see how David responds to these things. So it brings us that darkness and light. We get to see what Saul is doing and, and what's it costing him, but we'll also get to see David respond in a very positive way. Um, but the things that we see in Saul are jealousy, deception. Um, we, we see just compounding trouble as he continues to go deeper into sin and further and further away from the Lord. So let's look at 1 Samuel uh, chapter 18. We're going to start in verse 1. It says, As soon as he had finished speaking, so this is right after the battle between David and Goliath, and David is standing before Saul. He's telling Saul who he is at that point. And so we, we haven't skipped any time at all right after David finishes speaking to Saul. It says that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David 
and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul sent him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people uh, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were coming home, uh, this is going to be some time advance. So as they were coming home, uh, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, uh, the, woman came, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, with musical instruments. And the, woman's, the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre. Another translation there is prophesied, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But he raved or he, or he prophesied um, uh, in, in his house. Um, uh, while David was playing the lyre. And he did uh, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand, and he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all, all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Then Saul said to David, Here is my elder daughter Merab. I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight in the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. And David said to Saul, Who am I, and who are my relatives, my father's clan in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king? But at the time when Merab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, uh, she was given to Adriel, the uh, methylitic, uh, for, a, for a wife. Um, now Saul's daughter... Mishael loved David, and they, told, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. Saul thought, let me give her to him, that she may be a snare for him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore, Saul said to David a second time, you shall now be my son-in-law. And Saul commanded his servants, speak to David in private and say, behold, the king has delight in you. And all his servants love you. Now then, become the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servants spoke those words in the ears of David. And David said, Does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law, since I am uh, a poor man and have no reputation? And the servants of Saul said to him, Thus and so did David speak. Then Saul said, Thus shall you say to David, the king desires no bride price except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines that he may be avenged of the king's enemies. Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law. Before the time had expired, David arose and went, 
along with his men and killed 200 of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, which were given in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter, Michael, for a wife. But when Saul saw uh, and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was then more afraid of David, for Saul was David's enemy continually. Then the commanders of the Philistines came out to battle, and as often as they came out, David had more success than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was highly esteemed. Okay, so let's get into this. First thing we're going to look at is the king losing his son. Um, and this doesn't fully happen until really the next chapter, but it's already happening. Um, so this is immediately after David's conversation with Saul, where he's telling him, kind of giving him the, the recap of the battle and, and telling him who he is and those kinds of things. Um, but his relationship with the royal family will change forever at that point. For one thing, uh, Saul's firstborn found a friend for life, firstborn found a friend for life in David. So Jonathan falls in love with David, not in a weird way, but in a you and I are, we are soulmates, we are kindred spirits. And so I remind you of the story between uh, where Jonathan goes out almost in a covert mission and challenges the Philistines, or the Philistines actually challenge him. He climbs up this mountain and, and he and his shield bearer kill 10 Philistines, or 20 Philistines, and then they have this battle. And, and, and so Jonathan knows about obeying the Lord. Jonathan knows about fighting against the odds. And in David, he sees a kindred spirit. And so he says, this man is just like my soul, and we are going to be friends for the rest of our lives. And so that's how that works. And so David has this now friendship, and you know, it's no small matter um, that, that he gives him his royal clothing, that he gives him the, uh, the, the armor and the sword and all that. That's no small matter at all. Um, David and Jonathan are very similar. Um, they're courageous. They're capable young warriors. They're actually enthusiastic and want to fight the enemies of the Lord. And so the relationship between um, David and Jonathan displays the kindred spirit of believers. So we're not out there killing Philistines anymore, but uh, if you love the Lord and you find someone else that loves the Lord, you're going to find harmony with that person. You're going to find a friendship and a community with that person. That's what a church is supposed to be. We love the Lord. We're serving the Lord together, and we have that friendship. We have that connection. We have that sense of community. That's what David had, and so God gave that to them. Um, it is very significant that David was offered the armor of Saul before he fought against Goliath, and then he was given the armor of Jonathan afterwards. So in battle, he dresses like a king. Uh, in times of peace, he dresses like a prince. All of that is significant because it's pointing to a switch in power, a switch in, in, in loyalty and allegiance from Saul to David. But that is a process that's going to happen. So in, the matter of, in a matter of one day, David becomes at least reasonably wealthy because he has all the armor and all the weaponry from Goliath because that was his, it was his kill, so it was his loot. But also he receives these gifts from, from Jonathan. So it is a very good day, you would say, for David or to be David. Um, and he was no longer treated like a regular courtier. So in, in a king's court, you would have people that were that were advisors or they might serve some purpose and David's purpose if you'll remember when he was brought into Saul's court was to play the lyre to pl play that instrument maybe to sing but to soothe Saul's spirit 
and David was doing that. That was his role, but we know that David had went back and forth at that particular time. Well, he's not looked at like that anymore. From that point forward, he is, lo- is looked at as viewed as part of the royal family. Uh, King Saul gives David a high position in the military. In fact, it says that he made him the leader of the men of war. So David, at least for a short time, as a youth, was probably the commander of the Israelite army for a short time. That, That doesn't last for long, but for a short time, he becomes the commander. So he has all this prestige, all this power, all of a sudden, and Saul has given that to him. It pleases the servants of Saul. So the servants of Saul is going to refer both to his advisors and his generals, the people that were close to him that had the king's ear. It pleased all of them because they saw in David a man that was successful. Um, and, and the king doesn't realize it, but he has lost his son to David because when Jonathan looks at his father, he sees a man that gets in God's way. When he sees David, he sees a man that goes the way of God. And Jonathan, being a man that wanted to follow after God, he was ready to follow after David. And even though this wouldn't have made sense in a monarchy sense or trying to build a dynasty, it was, for Jonathan, it was the right move. And so Saul had lost his son. Saul would later try to use Jonathan to destroy David, but Jonathan didn't want to have any part of the plan. He actually warns David of that later. So The friendship between Jonathan and David, that would help both of them through this kind of challenging time where the the father, Saul, is is an evil man. Jonathan and David are able to navigate these dangerous waters together. Um, And so I do believe the Lord gives us deep relationships with his children to bring us through the darkest of times. So whatever it is that we might be facing... That would be the time to lean on the friendships and the relationships that God has given us through Christianity to actually find a way through those things. So David and Jonathan were friends, and and we're going to see other things where you see that they really were very loyal to one another. They were were these kindred spirits, and that's going to help in times of great darkness. So David isn't there yet, but you can imagine he has been anointed as king already. You know that he knows that there's coming a day when when he will be king, but it's not yet. And so there's going to come a point in David's life when he's wondering, when is this going to happen? When when is that going to become true for me? David exhibits great loyalty. Um, He exhibits faithfulness to God. Um, He is really a a man that that thinks about his actions before he takes them. So it's not like he's going to go kill Saul and take the throne. So that really challenging time where he goes through all that time waiting to be king, Jonathan and and that relationship they have is going to help him through that. So let's look now as the king loses his glory. Um, Mothers and wives are always happy when their sons come home from war. They always are. And so that was a traditional celebration as Saul is leading his army, you know, back to their home, back to their, to their base of operations. The women come out in the streets and begin to celebrate. They sing, um, and they would have written poems. And, and this small little poem here, David has struck down his thousands, or, or Saul has struck down his thousands, and David has struck down his ten thousands, that would have been a song that they would have written. It's short. 
um, and they would have repeated it, but that would have been a song that they would have written. It doesn't sound like poetry, maybe in English, but in Hebrew it would have sounded a little more like poetry because they would have kept the, the word thousands going through the different lines. And there may have been more. This may have just been the excerpt that really uh, bothered Saul. But they come out and they begin to sing. Um, you know, as you, as you look at this, um, David seems to have been a phenomenal success. And so we know that the battle where David was the champion and he fought Goliath and then they chased the Philistines, that was a great success. Um, it's not clear if maybe this was the homecoming from that battle or maybe there had been some other battles in between. But however it is, they are definitely uh, coming home as successful and conquering warriors. And so as they pass through the cities of Israel, people come out and they begin to celebrate and that's where you hear this song. Um, and, and so the song that they sing, or the poem that they say at least, caused a jealous rage to rise in Saul. So the interesting thing, in, in verse 8 it says, And Saul was very angry. The saying displeased him. Um, the very best translation would actually be this galled him. I mean, it, it, it's like something that just continues to anger him. It's not like something that makes you angry and as soon as you move on, you're not angry anymore. This was something that stuck with him. It was an abiding annoyance that people were giving David glory and not giving Saul that same kind of glory because he saw himself as, or well, he saw that they were saying David is 10 times better than Saul. That's what he believed that they were saying. And so in verse 9 it says, and Saul eyed David from that day on. We have to recognize that. So the people we're recognizing that David was the true champion of Israel because the Lord was with him. And so Saul knows that the people are looking at him as champion, so it says that he eyed him. And, and so what that really means is that he's suspicious of him, he's jealous of him, but he's also watching for an opportunity to commit sins against him. So if somebody's really eyeing you, um, then in, in, in this sense, the, the, the eye is, I'm suspicious of you, I don't know what you're going to do. I'm jealous of you. I want what you have, and I'm looking to harm you in some way. I'm looking to commit sins against you. And so that's where Saul was. Now, you have to recognize that this game has become a little political at this point because now if Saul just strikes down David or, or arrests him or, or casts him to the side, he can't do that anymore because David now has some notoriety. No matter what David says about not having any reputation, the guy that killed Goliath is going to be remembered for a little while. And so he becomes a problem for Saul. Saul can't just kill him. Then, then Saul looks really, really bad, so he has to do something else about it. And so that's where things um, begin to get bad. So you can imagine Saul kind of dwelling on this, um, and the scene kind of shifts to uh, the royal quarters in Gibeah. So Saul is apparently there. David is playing his lyre, doing his music like he's supposed to do every day. And, and Saul has a really bad attack of these evil spirits. So the misery is on him. The bad thoughts are going through his head. He's thinking about all kinds of terrible things. Now it says that he was raving. And in and, and this translation, others say that he might have been prophesying. But what we can recognize from that is that if he was prophesying from evil spirits, he was a false prophet. And the Bible tells us that we have nothing to fear from false prophets. And so what that means is that Saul was no more dangerous to David than Goliath was. Yes, Goliath was a battlefield enemy, 
and, David gave, or, and God gave David the victory, well, Saul would be a more of a political inter, enemy, a relationship enemy, and he's not going to pose any more of a threat because David's walking according to the Lord. So in this rage that he has, and it's probably not the best thought out plan anyway, but he takes his spear and he throws it at David. Now, it, this may be um, difficult for us to see today because we don't watch people throw spears all the time. Uh, but you, you have to remember, Saul was a physical specimen of his own. So he was tall. He would have been a warrior, would have looked like a warrior. And so this wouldn't have been the first time he threw a spear. The second thing is, normally when you throw a spear, you're throwing it over some distance. Well, David would have been in the same room with him, even if it's a palace. And, and there's no evidence that Saul was building big, huge palaces. You might think medieval times, well, nothing like that. And so this was a room. And so if you have a spear and you throw it at somebody in a room and you're a practiced veteran, you know how to fight, you're probably going to hit your target. And so twice David evades. That begs a question, doesn't it? He throws a spear at you one time, why do you hang around? Well, apparently David was very loyal, and David recognized this as part of this evil spirit that tormented Saul, and he thought, well, maybe if I play a little more, maybe that'll calm Saul down. It wasn't the case, but, but David was so loyal, but he was also confident that the Lord was going to protect him, and so Saul gets two chances to throw this spear at David. Now, David, for his part, just avoids it, but we have to realize what's significant about this is that Saul recognizes, and, and he keeps coming to this recognition over and over again, but God is with David, and he's not with Saul. And so it begins to be this major, major problem um, for Saul. It's like, how am I going to kill David? Because God's with him, and he's not with me. So how am I able um, to do this? And so Saul could not control his rage and jealousy, so he attempted to take Saul, David's life, but he recognizes he's not going to be able to do that. He's not going to be able to take David's life. So what does he do now? So... Um, the king reassigns David. So David would have been a commander of the army, or at least a, a, a whole division, bare minimum a whole division. Well, now he makes him a commander of a thousand. Um, this would have been a pretty significant demotion. Uh, that doesn't mean that he's, you know, he's not, he's not a footman anymore. He's not just in the battle lines, but he is very much reduced. He's very much diminished in his authority and, and what he can bring to a battlefield personally. So he, he does um, uh, demote him, but even there, David has tremendous success. When he goes out and leads his men out, they are always victorious, and, and it, it is less than the other men um, that, that fight. And one thing I want to point out, David was young. There's no way there weren't veterans in that military veteran leaders, veteran fighters that knew how to lead men better than David did. It wasn't that David was just a military genius, a prodigy that no one had ever seen. It was that God was with him. It was that God was leading him and giving him victory and success. I'm not saying that David didn't know what he was doing. He didn't know his business. But I am saying that there would have been other people with just as much knowledge as David. But David had God with him and that changed everything for him. Um, so what we see actually is a very clear parallel between the story of David and the story of Joseph because in both of those they, they're elevated and then they're lowered and that roller coaster of everything, they follow God through it all and no matter where they are, if they're a slave, if they're a prisoner, they're second in command of the king, 
in any of those scenarios, they're still successful because God is with them, granting them strength, granting them success. And so that's something that we have to recognize, that, that God is doing what he did with Joseph. He is doing it again with David. And I would say um, that God would do that with us. Now, we, we may not be David or Joseph. We may not have that kind of life. We certainly won't have some of the same circumstances. But what I do tell you is that mankind is going to change your station. You, you might be high. You might be low. You might be somewhere in the middle. Things are going to change. But if you will follow after the Lord, God will give you that success wherever it is that you go. And success the way He values it, not the way that mankind values it. But He will give you success. When we seek to serve only ourselves, which is what Saul was doing, we will always be in danger of falling into bitterness. So Saul continues to watch David's career go up and up and up. No matter what he does to try to dampen him or diminish him, it always goes up. And Saul is bitter. He's very bitter. And so he begins to hatch yet another plan. And this is going to cause the king to lose his daughter. So as David's popularity grows among the, among the people, Saul fears, Saul's fear of him grows as well. So he knows that David um, has a greater chance of dying, of being killed, the more time that he's on the battlefield. That's just a, a, a basic assumption. But if David's on the battlefield every day, every month, eventually he's going to die. That's just the way of it. And so Saul continued to put him on the, 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 the battlefield as much as he could, and then he comes up with a trick. And so what he does is, um, if you'll remember, David had asked around before he fought Goliath, and the king was going to enrich the person that defeated Goliath, um, the, the family of the person that de defeated Goliath would never have to pay taxes again, but also the person that defeated Goliath was going to marry the king's daughter. And so David had already earned that because that was what the king had promised, but he had never come to claim that reward. And so Saul comes to David and he says, hey, I'm going to let you marry my daughter, but you've got to be valiant. You've got to continue to fight for me and fight the Lord's enemies. Well, David, and I don't believe he was being disingenuous here. He said, I'm not worthy to be the son-in-law to the king. I believe that, that David was humble enough that that was actually the conclusion he came to. I'm just not worthy to be the, the, the son-in-law to the king. I'm not deserving to be elevated to that position. Now you have to understand with monarchies, normally kings married their daughters off to like other kings and other princes of other countries and things like that. So for David, he would have been so far beneath the kind of person that would have typically married a king's daughter that in his mind he simply didn't think that he was worthy of this. And so he does kind of put Saul off a little bit, but Saul made the promise and then Saul was not able to keep his word. So Saul was not a man of his word or not able to keep his word because when it comes down to it, you had uh, the, the first daughter, the oldest daughter of Saul, she's married off to somebody else whose name we can't, well, y'all can say, but I probably can't say it. Anyway, uh, his name was Ariel. I just can't say where he came from. But anyway, um, after that, Saul's not finished plotting against David. So what happens now is somebody tells Saul, hey, your younger daughter, uh, Mishael, she 
loves David, like she is in love with David, that would have been very easy to understand. Uh, they didn't have celebrities, they didn't have you know, rock stars, but whatever, whatever attention people had to pay, they would have been paying it to David. He was young, he would have been handsome. It says that he was ready, Goliath even recognized him as handsome. Um, and so the reality is David would have been that rock star personality and, and uh, Mishael would have seen him and said, yep, that's who I love. Maybe not from a like a intellectual sense, but definitely she would have just like a teen idol. She would have liked him like the girls liked Elvis and the Beatles and all that kind of stuff. That's how that would have been, right? And so when we see this, Saul says, "Aha, she's going to be a snare to him." Now the the language again is a little hard to pick up on in English, um, but her love, her desire for him, is going to be a snare to David. But it's actually indicated that she's going to be a spiritual snare to him as well. Maybe he knew that his daughter wasn't a, like a really uh, God-following, God-honoring lady. Whatever it was, there's an indication that Saul knew from the very beginning that she was going to be bad for him spiritually. And so he sees that as his trap. He sees that as the way to get David, um, to, 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 to get David into trouble. So... David still has reservations. When this is presented to him, hey, marry the king's daughter this time around, David still has reputation or, or, or reservations about this. One reason is because of his family, his genealogy. He says, I'm not from a good family or a respected family. Um, the other thing he says, I have no reputation. Uh, and probably what he meant, because the rebuttal was bride price, um, what he meant was, I'm not rich. He should have been rich, right? When he killed Goliath, he was told that he was going to be made rich, but that isn't what happened. And so David is saying, I can't pay a bride price, especially not one that would be the value of a princess. And so that's where kind of David stops it. And then Saul, for, you know, as dumb as he acts most of the time, he was pretty smart to get David to actually bite on this one. So Saul puts a challenge out, and it is a grisly, grisly challenge. The crooked king did everything in his power to ensure David's death, but it only succeeded in losing his daughter in the process. So here's the challenge that he does. The challenge is go out and kill a hundred Philistines and take a part of their body and bring it back to the king. So that's what the challenge is. And do it because you love the Lord. So somewhere in the middle of that whole conversation, David says, hmm, you know what? I'll do that. And so David, again, he's an enthusiastic young warrior. I believe that he was humble in a lot of ways, but you can't be as good and as successful as David was without knowing how awesome you really are. And so David says, yes, absolutely, I will go out and kill Philistines. And remember, at this time, he's a commander of thousands. Now, ancient warfare, we want to envision just slaughter all the time. So if, if David brought his troops out against another thousand troops and he won, that he would absolutely kill a hundred people. Well, that's not necessarily the case. Because what happens in these ancient battles is, is at some point, it's going to end with one group running away. And most of them are going to get away. And so it depends on how long they were engaged, how many people died, and how fast the bad guys can run away. Like that, that determines your casualty numbers to a certain extent. It, very rarely were there like traps and ambushes where people just got totally slaughtered. It happened, but that wasn't the common thing. And so as David leads out his men, 
he has not just the kind of success that Saul was saying, because he gave him a deadline and said, by this day, bring me these hundred body parts, but it was actually, you know, David brings him 200. So whatever he did, whatever the battle plan was, and we don't get to know that, that would be the fun thing to get to study, but we don't get to know that because, well, there's a bigger story that's God's plan. Um, So anyway, we get to find out that David takes 200 men. He does Saul's grisly work. He does this in a way that is abundantly successful, and he delivers it to Saul. So here's the thing. Saul believed, if I make David get that close to that many Philistines, if I give him a number that he's got to focus on, there's no way he survives. Saul believed that David would die. David believed that this sounded like a fun afternoon. And so David went about his business And he comes back with this. So David knew that he fought with the strength of the Lord and would be able to overcome any challenge. And so that's exactly what David does, is he goes about the business of fulfilling this challenge. Um, Saul finds to his dismay that his daughter really, really does love David um, and that the Lord is with David. Those are both things that the Scripture says bother Saul a lot. And so it says that Saul is committed to actively being David's enemy for the rest of his life. Essentially, what we see here is that in verse 29, Saul was even more afraid of David, so Saul was David's enemy continually. Saul's committed to being his enemy because he knows he has to get rid of him because he knows that he's a threat to the kingdom. It's unclear whether Saul knows that David was anointed at this point. He hasn't been publicly anointed, but Saul can read the writing on the wall, as it were, and if the king is supposed to be the champion, that's why Saul was chosen. David has already surpassed him in his youth. He has already surpassed him, so that's going to be dangerous for him. So David's reputation among both the people of Israel and the Philistines, it continues to grow. David's not defeated on the battlefield. David is not one um, that that is ever going to be caught unaware. He's never going to be um, pushed around on the battlefield. And again, there were plenty of people that would have been capable in Saul's army, but nobody liked David because David walked with the Lord. And that's where we can find our strength. And the thing that we can take away from this passage is the fact that, again, we're not fighting the Philistines. Goliath isn't waiting outside in the parking lot for us when we, when we leave here. But what we do have is a spiritual battle in front of us. We face dark forces in this world. Dark forces. And you may say, I don't know how to overcome some of these things. I don't know how to fight these things. But let me tell you, just like Israel, we live in occupied land. Israel lived there, but they were occupied by the Philistines. Those were dark forces. So just like Israel, that's, that's going to happen. And just like Israel, for every single person, the Philistines were a problem. You look at America today, and you might say, well, there are some big problems out there, and those are big problems for somebody. I'm telling you, if it's a big problem, it's a big problem for us too. For each and every one of us, it is a big problem. So those are our Philistines. Those are our Goliaths. And what we have to recognize is that as we live our lives, the only hope we have is to walk in the strength of the Lord. But when we do walk in the strength of the Lord, darkness will never overcome light. That's important for us to recognize. And so as David is walking through these battles with the Philistines, it's almost as if he was invincible because God wouldn't let anything happen to him. I fully believe David as a young man and the attitude that we see with David, I believe he took some risks that other soldiers would never take. And the reason he probably took those risks is because he knew God was with him. 
He knew that God would not fail him. He knew that he would not die because God had a bigger plan for him. What I can tell you is that we have to fight the same way. We have to fly against conventional wisdom. We have to do the things that don't make sense as long as God is calling us to do those things. We walk in the way that God wants us to walk. So what is God calling you to do? I can't answer that question for you, but I believe that you probably can answer that question for me. What I can tell you, and what the devil's probably telling you too, is that there's somebody that's better for that job. So if God's calling you to teach a class, if God is calling you to to step out and, and do something significant, then you're thinking, there's somebody else that should do this. There's somebody else that should take this part. There's somebody else that should, should, should lead out in this. And there may be somebody that's better suited, but God chose you. God chose you for reasons that only He will know, and He may never explain that to you. But you cannot fail when you walk with the Lord. You can't. The world may say that you're a failure, but that's okay. The world's always wrong. The world can't even decide if eggs are good for you or bad for you. The world doesn't know things, but I'll tell you what God does. And when he chooses you, he knows why he chose you. And he knows that you will succeed. So we've got to serve God rather than ourselves. When we worry about ourselves, that's when things get bad. That's when we get stuck in bitterness. That's when we get stuck in jealousy. That's when we'll try to deceive to make things better for us. And we'll never see God's rewards when we do that. We've got to serve God, not ourselves. So to wrap this up, Saul tried to get his entire family involved in his evil plan. He wanted Jonathan, we'll see this in the next chapter, he wanted Jonathan to help try to kill David. He wanted his daughters to be a snare. He wanted everything to go his way. And it was all for Saul. It was all for him. It wasn't so that his son would be king one day. It was so that he could continue to be king. That was what was most important for him. So instead of being busy trying to do the job God gave him to do, he was trying to serve himself and protect what he already had. That's a dangerous thing. When you start trying to protect what you've already got, what God's already given you, you have to recognize God gave that to you. Nobody else can take it away. Focus on what God wants you to do now. That's what's important, to focus on what God wants you to do now. In the process, when, when, when Saul was focused on what he was losing or what he might lose, he lost everything. He would lose his family. He would lose all of his sons. That's further down the road. Saul would lose everything. It was because he was focused on serving himself, not serving God. So what do we need? If we commit to living simply to serve the Lord, we will avoid the entanglements of jealousy, deception, and all the other things that go with that. You see, the system isn't rigged for you, and so you would have to try to rig it. You would be jealous. You would be deceptive. You would, you would be bitter. You would, you would have plans, and you would have all these things to try to make sure everything works out for you. That's anybody. Saul did it, but it could be anybody. It could be average Joe. It doesn't have to be a king to make this kind of thing happen. But that's everybody. But here's the thing. If we just commit to serving the Lord, ignore our own circumstances, ignore those that are working against us because somebody threw a spear at David. I don't know if he dodged. I don't know if Saul missed. But he kept playing his song. That's some focus. He didn't have that ADH, whatever. He continued to go ahead with it, okay? And what what I mean by that is that we've got to ignore 
the attacks on us, because that would still be self-centered. We've got to ignore the enemies that are plotting on us. We've got to ignore the things that are distractions and focus on the Lord. He will bring us victory. He will bring us victory. He will put us where He wants us and give us success. Now that's not health, wealth, and money and all those other things. All that really is is being where God wants you to be and succeeding in what God wants you to succeed in. In David's day, it was war. And winning wars led you to be wealthy. This world today is about spiritual battles. God will make you spiritually strong and He will give you spiritual victory. But you've got to trust Him. You've got to follow Him. And you've got to ignore all the noise and all the, the other things that are going on around. The things in your head, because Saul had all of that, and the things outside, because David was dealing with all of that. Focus on Him. He will bring you success. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time to, to look at your word for a few minutes. And as much as, as we hate to read about the life of Saul, because he does seem to have been the kind of person that, that turned everything around him into some bitter competition. In studying his life, we also get to see the early days of David, your servant. And David was a man that followed you. Your word says that he was a man after your own heart. We may never put on a piece of armor. We may never sing, swing a sword in rage. But I pray that if there's one thing we can do like David, I pray that we too can live after your own heart. Make us the sort of people that are in tune with your plan, in tune with your word. Make us faithful to you. Help us to trust you and to block out all the other things that this world has to offer. Keep us holy. Keep us separate so that we can truly serve you. Lord, we know there are dark forces in this world and we know that they are nothing compared to your light and to your power. But they reign and rule in this world because people will not turn to your light and will not turn to your power. I pray that we will be the generation that calls people to change, that calls people to look to you, to look to the Lord and in that find their salvation. Make us messengers of your light. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.